Welcome to the Make More, Keep More show, an irreverent but never irrelevant show dedicated to all things money. Hosted by Ron Carruthers and Dominic Cummins, two guys with 50 years of combined experience in sales and finance and a lifetime of talking nonsense. Welcome everyone to the Make More, Keep More show, the show that focuses on all things related to money, attitudes around money, making it, keeping it. I'm Ron Carruthers. Um... I am here with my co-host, Dominic Cummins of Real Biz Advisors. And then today we've got literally our most popular guest, I think, according to downloads, uh, Matt Shanlian. So, uh, Matt, good to have you. Dominic, good to see you. Good morning. Um, geez, good morning. Dom- Dominic and I did this show last Friday, Matt. And uh, good morning, Brennan. That's my son. He get- He's got to have a shout out. Um we did this show literally last Friday morning. We were in meetings all day chatting about another business. And I get out and find out you crazy kids had crashed a bank. Silicon Valley Bank stuff. Yeah. Um, it's been pretty interesting uh, last couple of weeks. As, um, with banking, you know, it's kind of one of those things. That I, will kind of, I want to start at the, the right place and get the SDB. Um, you know, this is really the reverberations of what the Fed has been doing to our financial markets for about the last 15 months. Um, and I won't blame the Fed for SDB because really they've kind of made their own bet. And actually, uh, the bank, the, the financial, their parent company filed for bankruptcy yesterday. Um, so not just the bank is in conservatorship, the actual financial um Institution above them uh, find, uh, filed for bankruptcy yesterday, protection too. And, you know, a little bit of it, especially with SDB, is symptomatic, I think, of where they are uh, geographically and who their clients are. They didn't really operate, uh, in my research, as a, as a normal bank, meaning normal banks, um, they're high in deposits. Their investments are generally really low risk and highly hedged. So, they're not looking to hit the lottery. They're not looking to, to, to you know, hit the, you know, the, the 10 to 1 odds, the 21 odds. They're looking to make a, you know, a point and a half, a point and a quarter, 1.5% yield. And, but a lot of times what they'll do is they'll also, uh, most smart banks will also hedge a lot of their investments, meaning like they're going to bet both sides of an investment in different ways. So if one is wrong, the other one wins and the loss is mitigated um, because what happened as the SCB, if that happens to you in a bank, you know, you lose the you lose liquidity quickly, you have to raise capital for your deposits or again happens really quickly for a bank. So banks <laughs> which is banks, <laughs> Yeah, so banks really generally are very conservative. You know, you look at the large banks and you know most of your, your big players, if you look at their balance sheet, it's pretty diverse, but also it's the, the big bets are on mirrored kind of instruments. So like we're betting a, a win versus a loss. And if it's a loss, I'm going to lose less if I just only bet on the win. And so what SVB did was in late 2021, early 2022, they bought a bunch of mortgage-backed securities. Everyone wants to blame the mortgage industry because, you know, we, we screwed it up a while ago. But really, um, these mortgage-backed securities that they bought were thought at the time to be pretty, you know, conservative, great investments. Problem is, as the Fed continued to raise rates, and they didn't raise them all at once, they raised them over a year's period of time. 
those values of those those securities became less and less. SDB had plenty of opportunity to, to hedge those bets as, as the Fed was screaming like, hey, we're going to keep raising these rates until right. they can get they place on control. Yeah. They haven't been they subtle been, about it at all. Yeah, you don't wake up in the morning and go, oh no, the, you know, the overnight lending rate went from zero to five today. And so all throughout last year, they had all these opportunities to hedge or, or get out earlier. And if you, if you want to ask my opinion, I think because of the location of it and you know, the deposits they have, they're the Airbnb, they're all the Silicon Valley have a lot of deposits, and they've also been the financing arm for a lot of VC funds and startups. I think they kind of got to the point where, like, we can always raise money. You know, we've been good to the community, they'll give good to me. We're not really a bank like everybody else, we're, we're smarter than that. And so, if we make a bad bet, we'll be okay. But the problem was, they made a bad bet, they, they lost money. And the funniest thing is, is their own investors turned on them. The Peter Thiels and all these people started saying, hey, everybody take your money out of this bank. We're worried about it. And they created a run and they went out of business really quickly. And so I don't know. I don't believe it's systematic of banking across all lines because I feel like this was pretty reckless of a bank to, yeah. to continue to just not hedge their bets, kind of assume, hey, you know, we got the, you know, we got all the, these wealthy, affluent people and businesses and all these deposits. We can just tap into them if we make a mistake. And that they, I think, were just a little bit not aggressive. I think they were more like cocky, if I had to have a, a real term. And so when, when bad things happen, they kind of like, well, we'll just raise some funds. And then everybody said, no, thanks. And they were gone. And, and so the reverberations, you know, Signature Bank in New York. They went on a business the next day, uh, or at least came under conservatorship, I should say. Um, and that was a company that did a lot of investing in the crypto market. A lot of money that got spread out to these different markets, different coins, different startups in the crypto space that now we're seeing have, take, uh, have taken on water over the last few years. Um, and so it seems like these banks that were like, we're not going to do a traditional bank profile, meaning we're going to be a snail. We're going to be like a little bit quicker. We're going to be, you know, not the snail, but the tortoise. We're going to be the rabbit. We're going to start being aggressive and, and we'll just we'll just be so far ahead everybody will win. Those are the people that are getting taxed really hard. The problem is, you know, I'm giving you a real long answer here, but the problem is when these two banks go out, when these two banks go out, there's insecurity in the marketplace. And now other banks are taking on water just because of volatility and not really their balance sheet. So that's kind of, Welcome to you know March seventeenth is where we're at now. Yeah, I will throw in my two cents, and then Dominic, I know you were in banking also for years. Uh, it just looked to me like an extraordinarily reckless bank that had a bunch of people running it on their board with one guy who had banking experience mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of people that were kind of diversity hires. Um, and like you said, as long as everybody kept giving them money, everything went well, but they didn't manage their risk well at all. That, that was my take. And I personally, as of this moment, don't see it to end up like 2008, where you had everybody kind of doing reckless things. Seems like it might be a little closer to them. I don't know. Before we move on to really like opportunities here and what's going on in the mortgage world, what does this mean for the mortgage world and real estate investors and people looking to buy their first homes and all those sorts of things. Dominic, you want to weigh in on this? 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I don't have much to add to other than what Matt said. I mean, it's, it is fascinating. I think the idea of that it's, it's hopefully not a run on banks like it was years ago, right? I hope that we're not seeing, and I think that, you know, Matt, you bring us a good point is, you know, first Republic, you know, followed it up, right. With they're getting institutional money. Now they're, they're, what is it? 30 billion. I think credit Suisse uh, had to go to central bank for 56 billion. Those are, those are not necessarily totally related to what happened with, with SVB. Right. So I think that that's, but it is concerning. Now I do think it's interesting. I was talking to a buddy of mine on the way in this, uh, back here to, to jump on the show. And, um, it's funny because and and we'll talk about this from an opportunity standpoint, but he was, he was looking at a Porsche the other day. He got a call from his dealer that said, Hey, got a brand new 911 turbo S in the, on the lot. And we'll take off the 25,000. Uh, yeah, guilt. I was thinking the same thing. I love that movie. If you haven't watched the big short, you really need to watch the big short. It's a great, uh, great education and banking and what happened a few years ago. And, and just a good movie. Right. But, um, but yeah, the the uh, so he we were talking on the way in, and he's like, yeah, they called me, and they're going to knock the twenty five thousand dollar overage down to fifteen thousand. You know, the dealer markup. And he's like, so he's like, I could get it for one hundred eighty five thousand. And I was like, yeah, but we had banks fail this week. We've got some other stuff going on. Why don't you hold on to the one hundred eighty five grand? And I think there's probably some opportunities coming up. And at some point, these auto dealers, because they're going to be reliant on banking and and lending as well and, and interest rate pressure and all that stuff, they're going to start knocking some of those dealer markups off of these things too. So, you know, paying a dealer markup is just ridiculous anyway. But so I just think it's, it's interesting to see some of this news. I think all of these things that are going on in general are just an indication of the stuff that we talk about on this show a lot. Cash is king. Hold on to your cash. Opportunities are coming. Don't overpay for things. Wait you know, be smart about it, whether it's a car or a house or anything else. Um, you know, just just uh, just keep an eye on it. But it will be interesting to see. And, and Matt, I, you know, your thoughts, I mean, if you want to expound any further on it is the thought of like, this is probably not a repeat of what we saw in the past. But it is concerning when you see you have a couple of banks in the same week need bailout money. Yeah, you know, definitely. I think uh, what we're seeing right now with volatility, loss, not necessarily like a, a, an epidemic of banking. You know, one of the things that's pretty interesting is, you know, First Republic got that $30 billion of, of infusion. You know, where it came from, it didn't come from the government. It came from other depository institutions, yep. which is pretty in. Now, did the government highly encourage these other institutions to uh, be part of this uh, resecurization of a bank? I think so. Um, I know that they have to keep their money there for 120 days. So what does that mean? So are we getting, is First Republic getting 120 days to basically get sold? It's what it sounds like to me. Because this money is in there, it's, a, it's not government money. It's from other for-profit institutions, and they have to hold it for 120 days. Um, what happens after 120 days? Are they going to be in a better place? Are they going to sell? Have they found a way out? And so... I think that's a, the First Republic maybe a little bit of a band-aid, but overall in banking, especially when we get, you know, my specialty is more in the lending space. I think what we're seeing is just, the, you know, I don't always blame the Fed, but one of the things that the Fed does is I don't think that they recognize the lag in their decision-making that accumulates over time. 
What I mean by that is they're so they're so focused on these monthly reports on like consumer pricing index and um, jobless claims and um, you know uh, all these other pricing indexes and, and GDP. So they're making these decisions to be like you know you think about somebody that's on a diet. It's like I skipped once and I lose weight. And then they weigh themselves. Oh, I lost 22 pounds. That was good. Okay. Well, then I'm going to run a mile. Oh, I didn't lose any weight. Well, now I need to run two miles. And they're so reactionary in their decision that they're trying to make these these quick turn things to turn inflation away. The problem is they knew inflation was coming for two years. They did nothing about it. Then they tried to sell that it was transitory. And now they're going to say, oh, you know, it wasn't transitory, but we, we, we knew this was happening. And they're doing these crazy rates hikes. Well, they've done them for a year. Now, what they don't understand, I, they, maybe they understand, but they didn't care as much. Banks make these big long-term bets. And when you change the market on them in a short-term, short period of time, they're not really agile to change their investment pool. So that's why these banks are struggling is because money is getting crunched. And they've made these big investments on long-term investors, and they can't really move off of them like selling a stock. And so what that means is banks that didn't, really mind their P's and Q's from a hedge standpoint, didn't keep themselves capitalized well, they may, we may see more consolidation. Like you're, you're not going to see Wells Fargo by Chase, but you may see your first Republics be bought by another regional. You may see some small be, be combined to a medium, a couple mediums to be a small, a medium large. You know, I think that's what's probably happening over the next six months because unless, you know, the Fed meets next week and has their next rate hike and, you know, they've said ahead it was going to be 50 base points. Now some people are calling for 25. A lot of people wish they'd halt it. If they go to 50 base points, you're going to see a lot more banks open up. If they halt it and say, hey, guys, we need to get our head around this financial crunch, you're going to see a period of time for us to be able to wrap our arms around it and banking. But, you know, to say that I trust uh, – if name was going by, I think another bank went out. Um, <laughs> see that I trust <laughs> Oh, it, was train, it was a train derailment. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're good at those. Uh, but just to think that the Fed is going to um, listen, they've not really been listening for two years. I hope that they do finally. Because, oh, yeah, well, you know, they've added $300 billion to their balance sheet in the last two weeks after they've been trying to get money off of it because people need money. And they're coming back to them for money because of this credit crunch that they created themselves. And so it's just like catch twenty two with them sometimes, and it's it's infuriating for me as a lender um, trying to to make sense of our market um, when really it could have been minded a lot better. And now we're dealing with a, you know a you know a federal reserve that kind of was late to the party and now wants to shut the party down. And they should have just they should have just you know listened to all the their the people that were calling for a lot of this stuff to happen in late 21 uh, and not mid 22. So anyway, that's my Let annoying me, bank comment. Well, let's jump in. Don John made a comment. He's like, it's weird. I work in credit risk and we are getting a bunch of new money in deposits because of it and some outflows, weird dichotomy. So that really brings us on the make more, keep more show um, to really Matt, what are you seeing in mortgages and Tell us, Matt again, Shamley, and Matt, how do they get a hold of you, by the way? So, uh, a couple ways. Uh, my full email is, it's lunch. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. My email is just my full name, so Matthew.Shanley, uh, and I think that's 
H-A-N-L-I-A-N, how you spell it, at ccem.com. Um, and we can put that in the notes here afterwards just so you guys have it yeah. uh, anytime. Uh, and so I've been lending for a little background. I've been lending for almost 20 years um, in a family company, but we went nationally with advisors and clients. Um, but what we're seeing right now in uh, the lending space, we're seeing some finally some sunshine rates. You know, sadly, low rates are usually indicative of financial disruption. <laughs> so when uh, banks go down, I don't want that's good news for us, but that does uh, usually send rates to a lower place. Uh, so that's been we've we've seen rates be high for a while. What we're seeing in the consumer market is home values are still staying pretty strong. They're off of their all-time highs, but they really leveled off not some. Uh, but what we're seeing from consumer bases is we are seeing debt at an unprecedented level. In the oh yeah. And so, and that's indicative, like, and why the Fed is screwing this up is they look at consumer spending. But what's that coming? It ain't coming under a checking account in cash. It's, it's being spent on credit cards. Right. Credit card debt's at its highest it's ever been. And when rates are this high, average credit card um, APRs are in the twenties now. So, you know, credit card average credit card rate has doubled over the last twenty five months. And so that is a very, very, very expensive endeavor that people are, I think, waiting. For these rates to come off of these sixes and sevens, once they get to the high fives, even though some people may have rates in the twos and threes, they're paying twenty three percent on their credit card debt. You know, last week I had somebody who had sixteen credit cards we paid off. Um, oh my god! And this isn't somebody that's like you know on the low end of the spectrum from uh, from uh, income standpoint. I mean, over four hundred thousand dollars of of annual income in their household, but they have life and they haven't really curtailed it with all of this inflation and you know spending kind of got out of control and they had $130,000 in credit card uh, oh so did you say Matt hold on did you say credit card balances have doubled in the last did I hear that right credit card interest rates so the APR oh, interest doubled. so as, as far as got balances it. go to give okay. you a little perspective 20 and 21 was the first two consecutive years in the last 35 years that credit card balances in consecutive years went down. So we actually lowered our national credit card debt by a little over $800 billion. Between 20, like January of 22 and September of 22, we actually spent that all back. And now it's past our, our, our highest of all time. And so we have been, even pre-pandemic, even 2008, 2012, you know, in the in that mortgage crisis and depression, uh, we have more more money on, on credit cards uh, as a nation than ever before. And right now, we're at the highest interest rates we have seen since really, I would say, the early '90s. Uh, and so, what that means is, you know, that ten thousand <laughs> that ten thousand dollars credit card balance you had in two thousand nineteen, your minimum payment might have been two hundred and three bucks. Now it's six hundred bucks. And you didn't get Ouch. you didn't get a raise. You didn't get double the raise in your job either that period of time. And so we're seeing this people run to credit, and at some point credit runs out because banks, like we see, run out of liquidity to just let people have money on on on, on interest. And so that's what I think is kind of around the corner. I think in our economy is you know we're seeing a lot of layoffs happening in the tech sector and all this stuff. But what does that mean for people? They're spending. I think we're going to start seeing that slow up, and as rates hopefully fall, we're going to see a lot of debt consolidation because there's just a lot of accumulated debt that is 
been kind of kicked down the road. Um, you know, hey, we'll just put on the credit card. Hey, we still got to go on vacation. We'll just put on the credit card this year. You know, we've got to finish that home remodel that we started during the pandemic. Well, let's just get a line of credit for it. All of that stuff, I think, is going to start um, really coming to roost here soon. Okay. So we're, yeah, there's always an opportunity there, right? Yeah. So um, what are you, we're, first of all, Dominic, you already said part of it, which is cash is king, right? Yeah. Your guy with the, going to go buy the Porsche and only pay the $15,000 markup, not the $25,000 one. Um, but what about not, what are you seeing in the mortgage space? Like, let's talk kind of, first of all, someone wants to buy their first home now. What what do you recommend? Because we all kind of got spoiled for the last 15, 18 years of really low interest rates. And I don't know if you guys realize this, but interest rates are still historically below their averages. Yes. So, and, and Matt is our banker friend, our lending friend to verify that. But we all got spoiled with 10 plus years of, you know, 3%, 4%. Now it moves into, where are they right now? First of all, where is a 30-year mortgage? Yeah, right now we're in like the low uh, to mid six percent range, uh, and we're we have some positive momentum to to stick towards the low, and maybe you know a few more weeks of good news here if the Fed is nice to us next week, and maybe the high five. They won't be. They suck. Yeah, I know. I, I, oh, sorry, sorry. That, that was that was my insight. I, 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 my bad. It's like, it's <laughs> like, yeah, I'm like the kid that keeps looking out the window hoping his dad will come home, and I know in my heart. <laughs> that's kind of what I am. He done left. Man, he, 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 he ran off babysitter, Matt. <laughs> they love us. He said he'd come back. Um, He's got a new family. <laughs> so we, we've had a lot of that kind of feeling. So, I mean, as far as with home buying, the, the thing that I will say is if you find a house that fits your lifestyle, fits your budget, don't look at price tag. Look at how your payment will be. Property taxes and insurance are important, depending on where you buy. How much money you put down, if you have mortgage insurance, all of these things play a factor in the, to whether you should buy it. But what I will tell you is this. If you bought a house, you guys both live in California. If you bought a house in 2020, if, if you bought that house in 2020 right now, it's worth probably $100,000 more than it did when you bought it. At the very least, in the last three, two and a half to three years. Because home values in, in, in you know Southern California, you know, you know, a one-car garage is five hundred thousand um, dollars. So, what I'm saying is, it appreciates in value. We've seen rents get higher and higher too. Um, it's so true. If you rents are you, rents are insane. Yeah. And so, if you can get into a home, and you can, and there's plenty of down payment assistance programs. Uh, depending on where you live in the country, um, we have you know zero percent down loans. Uh, we have first-time home buyers where there's a grant from your state that helps you pay for your cost. There's a lot of solutions in that that we can help you buy the big thing is if you delay home ownership you are delaying the appreciation of the home value and your growth in home equity and paying what i always tell people is rent is a hundred percent interest you don't you don't have any principal that gets paid off of your rent it's you're paying a hundred percent interest if you're paying 1600 bucks you're not getting any equity in that apartment you're just paying 1600 dollars a month into the ether and you're never going to get it back and and so home ownership is a baseline value for wealth, especially for, for, for people and societies and people groups um, that are more emerging, what we call our covered, meaning Hispanics, African-Americans, immigrants, you know, the first house that 
your family buys sets the marker of wealth for your generations past. Because once you own a home and you build equity, now you have options. Like Ron and I have owned families for decades, use their home equity to pay for college. Now, mom and dad who moved here from another country, their son or daughter gets to go to college. They get a graduate degree and their son or daughter is now a doctor. The only reason they could have paid for it is because mom and dad bought a house. And 10 years later, there was enough equity in there to get them to college. And then they had enough money to get them to grad school. And now that child has enough money to pay for mom and dad or progress the family in, in, you know, in a great way. So home ownership is a great conduit for that. So, so you want to buy jumping in, wait, 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 yeah. jumping in. So where would they go to find the grants that are available to them? Well, we can help you find that. Um, a lot of times, like grants okay. in the state, um, sometimes even by county. Um, and so when we talk to you, that's one of the part of the discovery process we'll go through. It's like, hey, if you're looking for down payment assistance, and you're in, you know, San Diego County, we're going to help you uh, go uh, find those or uh, a lot of the stuff we're already embedded in our system, the national down payment system. Okay, good. Now, what if someone, uh, if someone gets a home at a price that's acceptable to them, but a fixed mortgage payment's going to be a little high for them, do you have any sort of solutions that you recommend? Like, I know for a while they had adjustable mortgages, you know, where you could do five years and, and kind of bet that hopefully things come down. What are, what are you recommending to people right now? You know, that's always a dicey thing. Um, and we, we always try to, when we talk to our homeowners and prospective homeowners, you know, we want to know your story. Not everybody's going to buy a house and stay for 10 or 15 or 20 years. Um, and so understanding that if you're at a place where you're like, you know, hey, I'm going to be here for at least five to eight years, you know, but really, you know, my parents, whatever, I'm going to move back home or that point, um, it still makes sense to buy a house and build that equity. Uh, there are programs, there's interest only arms that we have, um, things of that nature that are more specialized. The thing is, you know, if my rate is 6% on a, you know, conventional conforming rate, your, your interest only may be 7.5%, 8%. But you're not paying principal, so there's some savings there. It's it's kind of really retrofitting the need and um, the, you know, the financial budget and then figuring out the purchase price, the type of home, so on and so forth. Because we have some people that want to buy a condo, but then when I walk them through how expensive their HOA is, like you should actually buy a single-family single residence. And, and even though you're going to buy a bigger house, your payment's lower because you're not paying a $600 a month HOA for the pool to be clean. And let me add one thing. If any of you guys have ever, Dominic, you don't have an HOA. I don't well, have I one. I have had one in the past, though, and they are. HOAs are populated with the worst human beings yes. on the planet. Absolutely. There is no exception to this rule. Anybody that wants to be in it, if you are on your HOA board and tormenting your other people, uh, shame on you. Uh, yeah. Right? They are like my poor brother-in-law, who I, I have a good brother-in-law. Um, and I mean, literally, um, three, 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 <laughs> three letters a day from the homeowners. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. So keep that in mind. So there's definitely a lot of programs. And what's happened now in our market over the last few years when with rates going up, you know, there are more creative options um, than there were even three Let's years ago. We want to hear about them. So, I mean, especially specifically in California, one of the things that's been hard. We don't care about California. Our people from everywhere, but you can okay. start with California. But in different, in different states that have legalized things like marijuana, um, the production on Salem. Well, a lot of times we know that 
Schedule One federally, so you can't really claim the income. It's kind of a, a weird process. And so sometimes people, you know, literally millionaires or just people that um, are making a good amount of money from farming it or leasing land, they're not able to, to utilize that as income. We now have an option for that. Uh, we have options for things like even manufactured homes, single-wise, double-wise, triple-wise, uh, land loans. Um, we have uh, we have a, a loan for more than four units on a property. Uh, we have a great loan. If you're in an investor space or when you get into the investor space, there's a loan called a DSCR. Okay? Just wait, we, we want to hear about this. So DSCR is debt service ratio, debt service, DSC, debt service cost ratio. What it is, it's very simple. You buy, you look and find an investment property that you like. You bring the down payment. We don't even look at your, we look at your credit score. We don't look at your income. What we look at is average net rent. So, mm -hmm. hey, I buy this house and you're going to get $2,000 in rent and the mortgage payment $1,600 approved. We don't go through the, hey, Ron, what did you do in 19, Ron? You know, <laughs> your, your chicken farm lost money. You know, your other thing made money, like. Hey, look at Run. the property itself, the down payment, it does it positively cash flow. And if that is all, if those all are all yeses, it's lovely. It's not the same underwriting that we have to go through where if you're self-employed and, and Ron, you know this a little more too well, the, the fine tooth exam uh, that we have to go through with people like that, you can buy a house with it if we can justify the positive cash flows with a limited underwriting. That's freaking fantastic. By the way, just since we're at the bottom of the hour and a bunch, I've seen a bunch of you join, this is the Make More, Keep More show. We talk about all things related to money, trends, those sorts of things, making it and keeping it. I'm Ron Carruthers. That's Dominic Cummins. And we have Matt Shanlian, our favorite banker, lender. And Matt, real quickly again, just tell them how to find you. We'll put yeah. it in the thing. Yeah. And then we got a it's, question from Gilt. Yeah, um, Matt. But, yeah, Matthew.Shanley, so M-A-T-T-H-E-W dot S-H-A-N-L-I-A-N at ccm.com. Uh, also, you can call me at my office number anytime, 866-888-7902. Um, and you'll talk to Sabrina. She's my wonderful assistant. And she 866 7902 7902 Sabrina. Okay, cool. So, Gil asks, what's the average percent down payment um, for one of those DSCR loans? Generally, you're going to need 20%. Um, now, if we get really creative, you can do 10% down with a 10% line of credit. Um, but, you know, the more complex we get, the more the, you know, not underwrite portion goes away if we have to add a secondary lead position. Um, but 20, 25% right now for investment properties um, is kind of the standard. That's one of the things that our, our blessed government has changed over the last couple of years. They're making it harder for investors to buy. They want to make it a little bit harder so that more first-time home buyers can buy and less investors can buy. And so they're they're changing the down payment spectrum a lot. Okay. And what's up, Steve asks, what's the interest rate on a on one of those loans? It's gonna be obviously it's elevated. So it's gonna be you're gonna be in the high sevens, low, mid eight percent range. Um, but a lot of times what we look at for these loans is you know, we always saw the, the, the corny term we do is you see you you, you you marry the house. Date the rate. So a lot of times, if you're looking to get into this, into the investment world, um, or accumulate more properties, this is a great program that you can kind of get in. And then once you're in for a few years, you can refinance it down into a 20 year, into another 30 year with a lower rate. 
even have loan programs right now. This, if your home is currently in an LLC, I can close it still in the LLC. Um, yeah, which is, which is, a, a, he said that fast. That's a big deal because one of the things that you can run into is if you put your home into an LLC, technically you give the mortgage holder the right to call the mortgage due if they gave you the loan personally. So, you gotta be and that's always been that a bad. It's been a battle for years because that's, from a tax perspective, a really great thing to do is create an LLC. Hundred percent. So we've had investors kind of battle with that, and and but we do have an option now if it's in an LLC. We used to make it take it out, do like the the, 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 the chicken dance, pull it out, take it in, put it in, take it up, pull it in, and we yeah. close it. You put it back in, whatever. So we have some options. We don't have to do that anymore. Uh, you know. Anything that gets just so everybody knows, anything that gets away from like your conventional FHA, PA, those kind of normalized loans, those are always going to have a high risk rate because they're a little higher risk program. They're, we're we're given some some requirements of ways. There's going to be a higher cost to it, same way like any other product you would think about. So, you know, but for people who either don't qualify for it or like a DSCR, where it's like, hey, I just don't want to give you a 500 pages of taxes and go crazy over all this stuff and explain why I took a loss in one of my businesses. I just want to buy this investment property. That's the yeah. program for something. That's it. Get it. We'll worry about it later. What about for the, and oh, question, can you turn around, Matt, and do that multiple times as long as the, you have the down payment and the property's cash flow? Yeah, and what, what's great about it is, um, you know, if you're buying investment properties, you know, Fannie and Freddie only let you know, hold 10 loans at a given time. A DSCR loan is a non-conforming loan, so it, it's not backed by Fannie or Freddie. So, you know, theoretically, there's no limit, no stated limit. I don't know anybody that has fifty of them, but like, you can continue to buy and accumulate what we call doors in the investment community. That's it. Using the program, love it. Um, what do you guys have for? You said like four units plus. What are you seeing yeah. in that space? So four units plus. It, this is kind of a, we'll call it a gray area, not in a bad way, but um, what I don't, the more units you have, it starts heading into commercial, okay? Right. So, like, it says four plus units. That doesn't mean if you have a 50-unit apartment building, that's a commercial loan. I don't I don't specialize in that. And if you have any questions, I can help you find a couple of national commercial lenders. But, uh, but it's, you know, it's more for people like, hey, I do have a five-unit, you know, especially on the coast, you know, Philadelphia, New York. You know, New Jersey, all of those northern coast places have a lot of five, six unit houses that are 150 years old um, that the tenant lives in. And those are those have been really hard to, to find lending space for. We do have an option for those right now. But that's a great, you know, when you're talking about initial getting in the housing market, one of the best things, and it's been around for years, if you can buy your first house as a duplex or a triplex, rent the other two or one space out, help defray the cost of your payment, build equity quicker. Then you can buy another house and replace yourself as a renter to rent on both sides and buy another home and use that rental income as qualifying. You know, this is for people that want to get into, you know, having that passive income as a as a multiple homeowner. Um, that's a great thing to think about. If, if you have opportunity for duplex, triplex in your communities, where I live, there's not a lot. That's a great first home. And it's Love something it. you can hold on to for decades and just print money. Because you're renting people, rent it out, and you're building equity. Love it, man. Dominic, did you want to say anything, man? No, I, you had, you allowed me to talk last uh, episode. 
Um, and then you arranged for Matt to actually call in and interrupt most of it. So I think, uh, no, I'm solid. No, I wanted to be on the show. I, I want to continue to go back to that statement. I've, I've said this a few times on the show is that, that, that Matt made earlier is if you find the place that you want and you have the budget and you have the, you know, it's, it's the dream home and you're prepared to potentially take a loss, which asterisk to that is you're not really taking the loss unless you sell it. You have a situation where you should buy, you know, don't be scared to look for something. And then when we hear all the other stuff from Matt that like there are still programs out there, there's still ways to help you with some of these things that the key is comes back to what we've said many, many times is have a good network of people around you, you know, have your mats, have your runs in your, in your, well, this is an old term, but your Rolodex, right? The people you can call in your phone that that are like, hey, I'm I found this dream property. I know somebody right now who's, you know, in the process of buying a, a rental property out in in a in a resort area or around here. And, you know, could it go down? Sure. Is the interest rate the best? No, but they love the house and they're really excited about it. And that's really um, yes, exactly. I did think the Tony Stark glasses too. I, I, that's a good reference right there. I was, I was looking at those. I was admiring those. Nailed it. Nailed it for sure. I was admiring those from the last time. That's what we keep that around for. Exactly. It's not. He doesn't just look smart. He is smart. That's that's the key. I mean, you know, other than Ron and I might look smart, but not smart. Uh, but yeah. So the. Uh, the I, I, had, I had someone a client once tell me. She referred someone over to me, and she's great. She's a real estate agent down here. She's referred a ton of clients. We helped her out bigly with her kids' college. But she told them I'm stoner smart. And I'm like, what the I hell is that? that? <laughs> yeah. And she goes, well, I'm like, what's that supposed to be? She goes, well, you kind of sound like you're high, but you're not, and you're smart. And I'm like, uh, thank you, I think. I'm not really it's sure. It's a fairly accurate description. That's, I, I I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't argue Which that one. That's why I never go back and listen. It's why you have to do the editing of the shows because every time I listen to myself, I'm like, oh my god, I do sound high. Yeah. Yes. All right, man. Back to you. Sorry. Sorry for the interruption. So, uh, well, and I I, I was going to ask you actually, Matt, just to, from a thing. Are you are you seeing any areas? Is it is it still location, 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 or is it certain types of things where you're not seeing as much of a dip? Or you, and obviously this is getting out your crystal ball, where you're seeing things that are typically more sustainable in these types of markets. Like, are, is is a multi-unit place, or or I mean, what are you seeing right now that that is still kind of holding its value and and probably will, barring any major interruptions? Yeah, um, right now, like uh, because of there's such an in, uh, inventory shortfall. Everything's really holding value. I mean, kind of getting anything that's, you know, standing up with windows in it that has a roof on it is, has been a value add um, and has grown. I think for for the multiple units, that's always a strong thing, especially if you're going to live in one of the units. Um, if that is your primary purchase, the reason it is is because you can buy a duplex with as little as 10% down. So now you put less down if it's an investment property. Um, you're going to get a better interest rate, a better loan program because it's a primary residence. Even if you're not living at all, if you're living in one of the two units or one of the three units or even one of the four units, you get to claim the whole property as your primary residence. Yeah. And so one of the things that, so that's a big value add if you're looking to, um, if 
you're in an area where you can buy a multiple unit property if you have a decent like 10% down payment. Um, the problem is a lot of times with the multiple units, they don't qualify for the down payment assistance programs. Um, some do. We just have to look at the property and where you're at. It's just it's just interesting um, to see uh, honestly how much has has really been stable from the housing market side. It's been the lending side that's been the unstable portion. Values your people nice and strong. Yeah, it's, we screw everything up. But it's honestly the, the homes are, are the net investment is valuable and still strong uh, because still you know we're seeing different pockets you know your nashville's your dallas's in columbus ohio is like one of the hottest markets in the country uh, we're seeing people of course leave the californians and i think that slowed down a lot now there was a big exodus over a two-year period uh, but we're seeing home values raise and be very strong in rural areas too and that's 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 it's pretty a good indicator of the housing markets really strong because you know your coasts are always going to be the leader they're going to boom in value and bust in value quicker than everybody and usually your midwest your rural areas are going to you know be mitigated gains and losses on the shorter spectrum right now i mean i can tell you right now i live in rural ohio um my town i live in a village i live in a town um but i bought my house five years ago and it's doubled in value that's not normal in any time no. in the history of our community. And so for rural property to be this expensive, for non-metropolis, uh, metropolitan places to have strong values plus metropolitan values, to me it's a great value always to own a home and it's not gonna go anywhere um, given our current you know, housing needs. Unless, the caveat is, Unemployment goes to 10 or 15% and there's a run on banks and liquidity is gone. Yeah, there's, you know, if we also not hit by a, if we get hit by a meteor, it's going to affect, <laughs> you know, housing markets too. So there's some things you can never plan on. But um, for the most part, we don't, we haven't seen values come down at all. Uh, we've seen activity come down, but homes are still moving at a very high uh, cost per square foot. All right. Uh, Dominic, did that answer your questions? If it did, I have a couple for them. Yeah, no, that was great. That's what I want to hear. Okay, so let's go back to the self-employed people. Has anything changed since last? We had you on the show last year. For anybody who's self-employed, what's new in that space? Or is it same old, same old? They want 400 years of records and a proctology exam and, you know, all that stuff. I just want to know, are your hands really big or is that mug really small? Because that is the cutest little coffee I've ever seen. <laughs> no, I was like, you know what? My, my happiness will increase dramatically if I go make another espresso. And so this is my second double espresso of the day. And you know what? I wasn't wrong. My happiness has just multiplied greatly. So with, with the non, with the, the unemployed space, there are more options. Um, obviously, we do have some. We do have some bank statement loans. What we don't have, I don't expect us to ever get back into the state approach. Meaning, Ron says, hey, man, I made a million dollars last year. And I go, oh, really? How? And he goes, oh, well, he's made it. And I don't have to verify that. <laughs> we what we do have with self-employed people um, and their opportunities, we have more like bank statement loans or more business bank statement loans. So you may be so in a situation what? where you um, you don't show a lot 
your business cash flow coming in out. And you're leaving it in your bank. You're leaving it in your business. You're not taking it as income. They can say, hey, okay, this person has good credit, has a down payment, um, and look at this business. It's it's positive $600,000 this year in cash. It was positive $600,000 last year. We'll give them a loan. Obviously, rates going to be a little higher than if you're doing a regular formula. Sure. But we do have an option for people that do that. Okay. And so what would be an example if someone wanted to buy a, I don't know, does half million dollar houses even exist anymore? But say somebody wanted to buy a half half million dollar house self-employed, what would they what would they need to show on their bank statements? So um, depending on the rest of the debt next year, of course, that always goes in. So if you, if you just bought that Porsche uh, 911 uh, and financed it for, you know, 15 years, uh, that's going to hurt your debt ratio. Uh, so basically what they're looking for is, you know, if you're netting at a positive inflow and outflow annually, uh, half a million dollars. Uh, so that means like $40,000 a month. They're not going to allow me to say, hey, you're going to take all that. You have to keep money in your business. So they're going to take 50% of that. Uh, so if you're, if you're positive cash flow in 40 grand a month, they're going to allow you to use 50% as like a prospective income stream if you want to take it. And then they'll use your debt ratio. So I would say you're going to have to have 10 or 15,000 so on a half a million dollars to do that. Okay, so wait. And you're referring to bottom line, not top line. In other words, you can't be like, hey, man, we got all this money coming in. They want to see you have all this money coming in and money's accumulating in the bank at the end of the month. Is yeah. that what I'm understanding? So, okay. Yeah. So so you would use your taxes. And then what we would do is do probably like, I believe it's 90 days of bank statements that say, hey, number one, I don't have any NSFs on my business account. I, I see consistent or, or somewhat consistent inflows of revenue. And we can use two years of taxes to say, hey, there's a there's a stability of, of this. They can look at that as something that says, okay, well, we can we feel comfortable because these are going to be non-performing loans. Basically, this is an, an investor that's going to look at Ron and say, okay, of the information I have, I, I think Ron is a good bet to be a lending partner with. We're going to give you a loan. These are they may look at you and say, I like Ron, I like his haircut. I'm going to give you seven percent. They may look at Dom and say, I hate the Dodgers. I'm giving you nine percent. <laughs> Everybody hates the Dodgers, oh, like the New York Yankees. How dare you? You're born in L.A. <laughs> I mean, they, would have, they would look at your finances, not your personality, but they would look at them and they would make a bet to, hey, you know, you're less risky than Dom, so I'm going to give you a better rate. Dom's a little bit more risky because the business is young, whatever. We're going to cover up with a higher interest rate. So it's not like a conforming deal where everybody that has this credit score and this wants to buy this house gets the same rate. It's It's more... Customized, but yes. doable. We'll call it snowflake. Snowflake. All right. Got it. <laughs> okay, so now here's another question. We saw a client do this. Actually, Dominic knows who it is. And um, he, he was new to the country and basically got a self-employed, but set himself up as a schedule, as a, sorry, not a schedule C, but as a C corporation. And basically... Now he was an employee, showed three months of high income and got his mortgage. And I think, I don't even think his, I don't even think he had a passport yet. And I think his visa was barely dry. Yes. Is that common or was that like, we don't know what happened, but that was a unique set of circumstances. How does that work? Well, I'd love to know that like specifically on the income side of things, how that works, but we do have programs that are called ITIN, so uh, International but ITIN is the is the acronym. It's for people that are are working, living 
in the United States. We know about them. They're paying taxes. They don't have a social security number. They're not uh, a, a, a resident or a dual citizen. But you know what? They got, you know, we have a lot. So in my little community, I'll tell you, uh, there's a big manufacturing plant and they have a manufacturing plant in Brazil. And they bring up engineers from Brazil every two years to work on their material, whatever. Well, they're W2 employees of this company. They're never U.S. citizens. We do a lot of financing for them. That's actually, um, we can do conventional financing for those people. As long as, we both know, as long as you're paying the government their, their portion and you're on the quote books, and I can verify that through an ITIN visa green card, uh, you get a loan. Okay. Self-employed in under three months. I don't know how that works. <laughs> well, but, hold on. So let me ask. Let me ask you the follow-up question. Yeah. If a normal business owner, we're gonna, we'll see what happens with taxes, but C corporations have come much more into favor than they were um, prior to the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act because they brought that corporate tax rate down. So if a normie, just American business owner is like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and convert to a C corporation, just pay myself a salary and shows a good salary for a few months. Would that help in the banking space or not if they're the owner of the company? A few months is scary. I would need it on taxes if you take the salary. Um, now, specifically with a C corp, sometimes people try to get around the ownership aspect. Like, hey, you know, anytime... And sometimes it bites people. Like anytime you own over, I think it's fifteen percent of a business. I have to bring in business tax returns if they're available. Um, but if you own a C corp and you say, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to give myself a two hundred thousand dollars salary for three months." Um, the problem is, if I don't have a long, like at least it on taxes for a year, to an underwriter, most underwriters it's going to look like I just created a salary so I qualify for a loan. And the moment I close, <laughs> that's exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah, and so. An underwriter is generally going to sniff that one out if it's like short term. Um, we do have sometimes people specific, like I work, you, know, you work for your dad, your dad owns the company, you don't have any ownership in it. You know, there are ways that, you know, you are getting just draws or whatever or being paid because it's a family business. There are ways that if you're not, if you're not an owner, you can be paid, you know, start getting a salary, have an employment letter to, to qualify for a loan. But as an owner, generally I'm going to need to see that salary at least on one year's taxes. It doesn't have to be a okay. whole year of it, but it has to be showing like, hey, last June I started taking twenty grand a month as a salary, and it's not like that because there's half of the year or whatever, and that's that's generally going to be okay. Okay. Um, back to the, the cannabis space. So you just said, hey, there's people that are willing to use that. You have banks that are willing to use that income. I mean, we we actually pick up a decent number of cannabis clients because. Some accounting firms won't touch it. Yep. And um, anyway, so that's good to know for those guys. Is there anything unique for the cannabis space that would be different, any different than the normal self-employed? So basically, that it's kind of like a it becomes a hybrid program of the like bank statement program. Uh, okay. Because we're going to look to see, you know, hey, the thing that we have found over the last six months and how we're doing is like. People in the cannabis industry have are capped just because they got nowhere to put it. I mean, they're just like, uh, they're oh, yeah, a they lot of money. They're making a lot of their accounting fees in cash. But they're making a lot of money because there's just not a place that they can put it without a lot of scrutiny. And so uh, I think housing can be a great place for that money to go. Uh, and then once the loan is 
12 months um, seasons, you can actually pull it out in home equity um, if that's the way to go. So, I mean, I've we've talked to a lot of people that have, have been really successful in cannabis, like you should be buying houses in cash and then live a mess of property in cash, whatever, having them, and then after 12 months, you can pull it up to 70% of that in cash and in, in, in tax free dollars. Like, there's some stuff that you can do there. I'm not a CPA, so I'm not. I'm not pitching tax strategies, we know that. Um, but specifically with cannabis income, we're able to look at the inflows of that business and be able to use that as an income. Whereas right now, people would just have to be like, Oop, I see cannabis income, but I'm not allowed to add it to your income worksheet. We're able right. to add that to that and then help them qualify for loan. Love it. Michelle asked a couple questions. Um, can you take the cash immediately or is there a year wait now? It's a year wait, right, Matt? That's a seasoned loan to let it go for a year. And then um, have the rules change if you pay cash for the house but then take the loan for the cash back? Yes. Uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act makes it so that you don't get a deduction on that. You don't get a write-off the interest on when you take cash out. It's only acquisition indebtedness is the actual phrase on the document so you used to be able to pull out a hundred thousand write it off didn't matter what it was used for and then they've kind of changed those rules michelle a little bit back and forth where they sorry my dog's very excited um where they it had to be used for home you know home improvements and now they're just like ixnay so bad news michelle is you won't be able to take a tax deduction for the interest the good news is it comes out tax-free and you can actually get it and if you are in that space you know you're able to do it whereas you weren't before and it became a real problem for a lot a lot of our clients yeah and especially if you're talking about home equity um if you buy a house in, in cash you're gonna have to wait at least 180 days so six months to be able to access equity um and at six months you can only access 50 percent of it um, at 12 months you can access up to 80 percent of it um and so you know, we want to make sure we're not doing anything nefarious, not hiding money or washing it through housing. That's not the, that's not the point here. But there are times when you get an investment or, or you have, you know, what do they call 1039 exchanges? I always mess up the, the numbers. I get them screwed up too. 1031. Yeah, 1031 exchange. Like that happens where people have to move money and buy real estate so they avoid taxation. And, you know, with the goal of in months, years, you know, pulling that equity back out um, in a tax-free environment, uh, that's part of the tax code. That's not illegal. Now, you go, you buy something illegally and want to wash money, we don't want to be involved in that. Nobody does. Um, but you can buy a house in cash and within 12 months, really take about 80% of the equity out tax-free insofar as you can qualify for the, the, the loan that you receive at 80%. Good to know. Good to know. What didn't we? We're coming up to the top of the hour, and my phone's about to run out of power because I forgot to charge it last night. What, Matt, should we have asked you that we didn't ask you? Um, you know, honestly, I think we did a really good, you know, assessment of where funding is at. I, I do think we are heading into a, a much better than we saw last year. Um, and I think you're going to still see consolidation in, in, in lending. I think you're going to see in banking um, just because of what we have had to go through over the last 15 months. And some, I think some places are just 
the end of their rope. But ultimately, it's a good thing because I think banking and lending was what was over overbuilt. We had too many employees, and there were so many people in our industry because rates were so low. We had to hire them to accommodate all of this volume. So I think it's part of the normalizing of our industry. Housing is still very, very good. I'm not saying buy a house willy nilly, but if you have the means to, um, it fits your budget. Um, home buying beats renting every day. I don't care what Elon Musk says. Every day. James Alter Sure. Yeah. James Altucher actually wrote a really good article on for that period in his life of why he didn't own a house. And I would say there's certainly times where not to be in a rush. But but like you said, I really like your point about it's a generational wealth marker. Mm-hmm. Um, when, where when you start thinking about that, that's the time. Yeah, it sets it it sets the tone for generations. So that was really that's look that's really what got us into trouble in 2008, right? Because the Clinton administration tried to ease the rules on banking to accommodate, you know, immigrants and minorities that weren't traditional homeowners. The problem is it just got the rules got a little too relaxed, and uh, yeah. and then may, mayhem ensued. And like Dominic said, if you guys haven't seen The Big Short or haven't watched it in a while, yeah, always a fun, always a fun movie. Yeah. So, so, yes, I was just going to say, simple as, you know, back in, like, why I don't think this is a mortgage, you know, collapse type of situation or anywhere close to it, you know, before the collapse, I mean, you could be a Hispanic-only speaking person and your mortgage back was not conditional. People would still sign in to buy a house. And that is just absolutely not thinking or working for the client. You are, that's, that's just usury practices that the industry did. They got people in loans that they had no idea what they were getting in. They weren't even in the language that they spoke or read. And that's what that's how you have a, a, a you know an issue like that. We're not facing any of that right now. I think what we're doing is we're facing the demons of the pandemic and overprinting of our uh, our dollars and our economy coming to roost a little bit here. And there's some cleansing going on from some banking institutions. And a bank in a bank that had one guy who knew on the board, who knew anything about banking and everybody else was focused on things that had nothing to do with banking. So there you go. Time will tell. Dominic, do you have any closing words for today? Again, I'd say if you watch the big short, you're likely to see the differences between what you saw in the past and and what is happening today. I mean, it's just a really good breakdown of all that stuff to show the differences between what we're seeing now. And I think you're absolutely right, Matt, with the practices around mortgages at the time. I mean, it was just looking back, it's shocking. I mean, and I bought a house during that time on, you know, just, you know, uh, I I mean, I don't even remember what the type of loan was called. They don't even offer those anymore. I mean, just it was craziness. And so uh, and I probably had no business buying that first house. So those those types of practices are are different than what we're seeing right now and and i think this is some of the you know fed's management of interest rates as you mentioned and also a lot of the the um the uh, the idea of staying away from the monopolies by the big banks which is a good thing but creating these mid-tier banks and these mid-tier banks they got some issues sometimes so um it'll be interesting to see and you're absolutely right all the guys who are investing they're saying are the likely buyers jp morgan chase and what night are the likely buyers of First Republic? So, yeah, it's yeah, just we'll some consolidation for sure. Matt, thank you so much for coming on the show. If you guys are looking for Matt, Matthew Shanlian, just like it sounds, S H A 
A-N-L-I-A-N at ccm.com. And um, if you're looking for more of Ron and Dom, we're here every Friday, except for the Fridays we're not. We're generally running about 10, 10 weeks straight, take a couple weeks off. And um, we'll get Michelle, we'll grab one last question, Matt, if you have a moment. But you can find our back episodes at makemorekeepmoreshow.com or on Spotify and Apple under Make More Keep More. Michelle slid in under the wire. Gil was talking about his mom and Wells Fargo screwing them. We could do an entire show on yeah. everyone that Wells Fargo has screwed over, myself included. Um, and we're glad you enjoyed it. But let's grab Michelle's last question. I heard someone say they're in Ohio. If you don't mind giving your opinion, I've heard Ohio is a no-no to invest in. You're going to make Matt cry, Michelle. Why do you got to beat up on our guy? Be nice to him. If you no, like someone... He likes snow in March. Come to Ohio. Um, <laughs> honestly, we actually have a, I have a couple of real estate agents um, uh, local to me, about thirty miles away in the Akron area. Um, they specialize in investments and in, in, in out of state investors, uh, and so they're really great. They we have we do a lot of business with them. So they'll have an investor. Like, they'll have Ron from Sandy Hook. Ron says, "Hey, man, I want to invest six hundred thousand dollars in real estate. I want to buy a couple of duplexes, whatever." They're going to be, you know, your local pricing tier. They'll fly in. We're going to pre-qual. And over a weekend, they'll buy a couple of places. We see a lot of investment in your Akron, your Cantons, and your Dayton's, your Cincinnati's. Since Columbus she mentioned, pretty, okay. she mentioned Dayton specifically that it was an okay. investor town. It is. It has some definitely some value there. Um, Columbus right now, because it's so developed. I mean, they have this forty billion dollar Intel plant coming in. That's a chip plant. Um, that's it's exploding in, in population. That's not going to be a real investor environment because of values. But your Akron, your Cleveland, your Toledo's, um, there's a lot of opportunity there. We get we actually see a lot of out of state investment in real estate in these states because a four unit property in San Diego is probably a million four. Oh, easily. easily. And so a four unit property in Akron might be 180 grand, right. and you may be able to get 1,200 bucks. You get your forty eight hundred bucks a month, and your mortgage payment is twelve hundred. It's a real nice cash flow difference, and you don't have to come up with a three hundred thousand dollars down payment. And so, a lot of people come into these areas. They'll come into, I wouldn't say Detroit, but you know your your outskirting states. Um, you know your Kansas cities, those kind of suburb areas, um, in inner cities, for invest because you can get a smaller price point than if you're stuck trying to buy a quadplex in San Diego or in Austin uh, or Miami, you know, you, you want to look more towards, you know, your Jacksonville than Miami's if you're looking for an investor, I think, if you want to have a good cash flow environment, unless you just are flush with cash from your cannabis. <laughs> from your cocaine and marijuana empire, yeah. right? And you still see a lot of growing companies in Cincinnati, for instance. I mean, Kroger is acquiring yeah. Albertsons if that goes through. I mean, that you, you've yeah. got some big companies there you know located in that area so i mean it's not an area i particularly love to go to but i still see there's there's a lot of growth opportunities money. in some of those places and money's money right money's if money you can get in like like matt said if you can get in for 180 or 300,000 for four units versus 1.4 you can stock cash in one of those areas and buy four four units for what um Yep. You know, you could get barely get your foot in the door here and you'll probably get out of it. 
Yep. North Coast Dream says Jacksonville market already popped five to six years ago. There you go. All right, guys, my phone's going to die, and I got to get this posted. So bad things happen. Matt, Matthew.Shanlian at ccm.com. Grab your back episodes at makemorekeepmoreshow.com or Apple or Spotify or wherever podcasting. We'll be back next week. All right. Thank you again. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. Good seeing you. Good seeing you too, man. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.